What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. And ahead on The Exchange, earnings season is starting off on the wrong foot. Financials, one of the best performers since the turn of the year, now dragging on the Dow. We'll look at what went wrong and what it means for the inflation or reflation trade. Meanwhile, the worst sector this year, technology. The Nasdaq jumped at the open but fell off those levels. We'll get some tips on how to ride this out. And in rapid fire, we are shopping for bargains. Stocks that are down big this week and there's plenty to choose from. Are they buys at these levels or are they down for good reason? But first, over to Dom Chu with our numbers this afternoon. The numbers on this Friday afternoon, Kelly, are not looking great because we do see the lows of the session thereabouts right now. The Dow is currently down 445 points, 35,668 the last trade there. 4620 is the level in the S&P. We're off about over two or actually at this point, three quarters of one percent down 38 points. And then the Nasdaq composite, particular attention paid here right now. 14,725 is the level. It's down about a half a percent, the outperformer. The reason why it's important for some traders is that 14,725 does represent that 200-day moving average or longer-term trend line for the overall market. It might be one of those reasons why you're seeing a little bit of support at these levels. We'll see if it holds. Remember, it's a key line that a lot of traders are watching. As now for the broader technology trade, you are seeing some of that move higher in certain stocks, although now that we've hit session lows, it's reversing a bit. What do ServiceNow, Tesla, NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Salesforce all have in common? They were all among some of the biggest losers in yesterday's session, and at one point today, they were all in the green, trying to find a bit of a bounce. But now you can see ServiceNow is down one-third of 1%. Tesla has turned negative, down one-quarter of 1%. NVIDIA just about flat. Microsoft, though, still about up 1% and Salesforce up one-third of 1%. And, of course, the news of the day, big bank earnings season. We are checking out what's happening with better-than-expected results. Better-than-expected from J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. But the mixed results tell you a little bit about the sentiment about banks right now. Wells Fargo, the only one of those, up about 3%. And remember, Goldman Sachs reports on Tuesday and Bank of America and Morgan Stanley on Wednesday. So we'll keep an eye on those big banks. Kelly, I'll send things back over to you. And we will have much more on that in a moment, Dom Banks. The Nasdaq is trying to avoid hitting a three-month low as the tough start for tech continues. My next guest has three names he would buy on the dip right now. Let's welcome in David Katz, the chief investment officer at Matrix Asset Advisors. And David, I think of you as more or less a value investor. So it tells me something if you're sniffing around here. What names do you like? So some of the large cap tech has gotten hit along with the overall group. So things that we like right now would be Facebook, Google, Microsoft. We think all are very good businesses. They've been richly priced and now they're selling at pretty reasonable prices. Um, the uh, Facebook and the Google are about 20 to 22 times earnings. So relative to the group, very attractive. We think they've been thrown out with the bathwater. We think when tech rebounds, they're going to be one of the first to rebound and you're getting them at a great price. Basically, you're sticking with mega cap tech. I don't see Netflix on that list, though. Uh, you don't. Rather than Netflix, we like Comcast or Viacom, which are selling at much better valuations. 
We're still very wary about companies that are at 40 to 100 times earnings. We think there's a lot of air in those stocks. There's a lot of air that can come out. The reason that we picked the three that we identified is they've had the stocks sell off, yet their prospects are really good, and the valuations are much better than the overall group. Yeah, uh, Comcast, our parent company, of course, there are shares of Viacom CBS under some pressure today. So anywhere else in tech where we've seen some stocks with declines of 40 to 80 percent, depending on where you're looking, a lot of those are smaller names, some of them still high multiples. Is that anything uh, else that interests you? Uh, not so much. We think that you want to have a barbell approach this year. So you can buy some of these big tech stocks at a dip, and then we'd spend most of your money or put most of your money in the value area of the market, dividend stock area of the market. We think that's going to be the best way to navigate 2022. We expect a lot of volatility. You've had four pullbacks of two to five percent since August. We think you're going to see more of the same as the year progresses. And the best way to make money this year is to buy really good businesses under 18 times earnings. There are lots of opportunities like that. Uh, we think you're going to have an average return for the market this year, like 8, 9, 10%. And we think those are the stocks that are most likely to succeed. Any examples off the top of your head of stocks under 18 times? Sure. Uh, eBay, Medtronic, uh, Unilever are all good companies, good prospects. Uh, we also wouldn't buy the banks in front of the earnings season, but we would buy them after they report if they dip. So uh, we like J.P. Morgan. They had a good earnings report today, but a pretty cautious and negative outlook. As a result, the stock has sold off a lot. We think once the dust settles, that will start to do better as the year progresses. We do think there are lots of opportunities in banks. But if you look at the last six quarters, banks have reported good earnings and sold off the day and the week of those earnings reports. Then they do better throughout the quarter. We think the same thing is going to happen this quarter. So we would not be buying the banks in front of earnings, but we do like them and we would buy a debt. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So you answered the question before I even could. But let me read off some of what J.P. Morgan said this morning. Uh, they expect headwinds from higher expenses, moderating Wall Street revenue. They're likely to miss their 17 percent target for return on capital. Um, these are not and this. This is now extending out beyond one quarter situation into the fullness of 2022. Aren't those comments more alarming to you? Well, in light of all of those comments, they're still going to be earning a boatload of money. They're still going to be earning a very healthy ROE. And the P.E. of the stock is still at 12 or 13 times earnings. So, yes, it's a bigger headwind. And the other thing to put in perspective is Jamie Dimon has tended to be very conservative with the guidance. We think when all is said and done, they're probably going to be doing better than the numbers they put out today. So we think that the stock sell up is, is setting a new level and it's going to start to trade higher. But surely what Jamie Dimon was saying is they have headwinds. Uh, there is labor inflation. They've got to pay more. Uh, business is going to slow down. But there were also a lot of very good things in that earnings report. Credit quality is great. Uh, lending is starting to pick up for the first time in, in the last 18 months. So we think all in all, the banking group is going to be very good with some headwinds, but a lot of tailwinds. And the valuation is much more attractive than the overall market. I'm going to ask you just for a quick comment on Wells Fargo, whose shares are now up. I mean, they're up today. They're up big this year. They're up probably 70 percent or something since last January. Is that all catch up? Would you own the shares here? It's catch up. We do own the shares and we like it. And unlike J.P. Morgan that talked about headwinds, most of the uh, J.P. Uh, most of the Wells Fargo report today was talking about how they fixed themselves and they're starting to play offense. We think they're running the bank a lot better. Uh, they've dealt with a lot of the issues that they had a year or two ago. They are still in the penalty box with the regulators, but we expect that to get better over the next six to 12 months. Yeah. Uh, the CEO is telling a much better story. So we would be buying 
even into that strength today, because right. we do think the stock's going to be higher. Very interesting, covering so many of the different movers. Uh, David, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Great to be here. David Katz thanks. with Matrix. Now let's look at some market technicals. Yes, the NASDAQ has been volatile and underperforming lately, but there's one indicator out there that suggests investors aren't yet fearful or panicking. Joining me now is Chris Murphy, co-head of derivative strategy at Susquehanna. Chris, welcome. By the way, could this be a bearish sign? Sometimes we want that panic as a bottom signal, right? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that's kind of surprised us with uh, the most recent pullback so far this year is NASDAQ volatility has actually been uh, more muted than the last couple of pullbacks. If you go back six months, early December, uh, the, the VXN spike was a lot higher. Uh, so these more muted moves uh, are somewhat surprising. We've been waiting for a NASDAQ term structure inversion to really kind of clear the decks a little bit. So that's when the near-term volatility, 30 days, spikes above the 90-day volatility. It's gotten close intraday. It's happened a little bit, but we have not closed with an inverted term structure yet this year. That happened five times in 2021. Uh, so that's been somewhat of a surprise to us. It kind of just feels like there's a little bit less of a fear of a crash and more of an expectation of a, a grind lower in, in tech as it gets you know, repriced, rotated out of, and in response to the Fed. It's kind of like uh, the Fed is the big risk. It's already known and it's mm -hmm. weighing on the markets. But for me to see a trading bottom, I like to see uh, VXN will really spike at a NASDAQ term structure inversion. Okay, interesting. So in, in other words, we're really not in the kind of environment where we're either experiencing big declines or about to come off of them. It, it may be more of a muddle through muddle through lower, uh, but, but that being the case nevertheless. What else do you see, Chris, if you could give us some context on the markets overall, do the technicals or the what you're looking at hold up pretty well for the Dow for the S&P or no? Well, so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about technicals this week. You know, you have the NASDAQ, which has been supported by the 100-day, uh, you know, you know, closing below that yesterday, the S&P with the 50-day. Uh, we've been looking a lot at a potential rotation out of U.S.-based products and into international, mm -hmm. uh, particularly even looking at the emerging markets, and that has been battling with its uh, moving average, 50-day, um, I believe. It finally closed above um, yesterday. It's back below today. That's run into a lot of resistance. So seeing a lot of technical issues. We're also seeing a lot of major reversals, uh, big intraday moves without a lot of as much close-to-close -close type of moves. Uh, so that's been kind of interesting as well. It just shows you how much shuffling is going on uh, as opposed to everything moving together. Is that wise. normal for January because people are trying to figure out where they want to be? How would you compare the market environment today to perhaps... 2021 or pre-pandemic? Well, sure. We've been seeing a, a lot of uh, rotation, like we said, but we have been seeing rotation from time to time, you know, all through the last couple of years. One uh, interesting um, situation was on Monday, you know, we've talked about it a little bit already, the, uh, the massive uh, reversal in the NASDAQ down 2.7% to close up on the day. Uh, that's actually historically been a positive indicator. Um, you know, we look back 10 years, it's happened 12 times. Uh, the Nasdaq's been up on average about 5% one month later uh, and, you know, up over 70% of the time. So pretty strong performance there. Uh, and what's interesting about these reversals is, um, you know, I said we looked back 10 years and found 12 uh, times. Uh, they've all happened within the last four years. So that mm. kind of speaks to the buy the dip mantra that's emerged over the last couple of years. And Monday showed that that buy the dip mentality is at least there uh, for some investors still. Fascinating. Just before you go, are you seeing a change in retail participation or what's happening with the meme stocks? 
Yes. I mean, if you go back over over the last year, uh, everyone was talking about the uh, the game stops of the world. Obviously, momentum has slowed there. Call volume has slowed there. Recently, the focus has been on the mega cap stocks like, you know, the Apples and Teslas of the world. I would point out those stocks are like the Titanic. I mean, call, call volume uh, is going to have an impact no matter what, but it's going to have much more of an impact on a smaller uh, market cap stock like GameStop than it would in a stock like Apple or um, Tesla. I mean, the vo the volume is there, but I don't think it's having nearly the impact that we were talking about, you know, a yeah. month or so uh, 10 months. You mean the Titanic is a is a compliment, well, not a compliment, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about yeah, the, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. the size of the Titanic. The size of it, right? <laughs> exactly. Chris, thanks for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Chris Murphy with Susquehanna. Coming up, the banks are largely selling off on this earnings day. We'll check in with one of the regional players next. Shares of Wafed have surged 10% so far this year. We'll talk earnings, rising rates, and M&A with the CEO. Plus, Etsy having a tough day and an even worse week. And it's not alone. A special bargain or bail edition of Rapid Fire ahead. And as we go to break, here's the Dow heat map as stocks are near session lows. Microsoft and Chevron are leading the way today, where JPM and Amex are the biggest decliners. JPM down almost 6.5%. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. The banks are in focus today with Citi, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, all reporting earnings beats, although the stocks are mostly lower. Regional Bank Wafed also just posted an earnings beat on the top and bottom line on strong loan growth, which jumped more than 5% for the quarter. The stocks, uh, let's see, it's in the green by half a percent today, so it's continuing its hot streak to start the year. Joining me to discuss is Brent Beardall. He is the president and CEO of Wafed Bank. Brent, welcome back. Kelly, good to be back with you. So it seems in the case of J.P. Morgan that concern about headcount expenses and um, some other issues are a big problem for investors. Do you think that's going to be more unique to the big banks or would that ultimately affect everyone? You know, I think that ultimately affects everybody. It goes right back to that headline number we just got a couple of days ago, the 7 percent year over year inflation. And I mean, that, that's a reality. We're all dealing with it as banks. Our clients are dealing with it. And the real key, I think, is how are you going to answer it? Are you going to try to answer it by cutting back on your teams? Are you going to try to answer it by outgrowing it with revenue growth? Yeah. So talk about what you guys are doing at Wafed. The analysts are pretty excited. Uh, KBW saying, you know, you've done a great job transforming from a legacy thrift into more of a commercial oriented bank. You've been leaning on technology and other things. How are you getting 5% loan growth? Yeah, no, we're, we've really got the momentum going for us. Now, the key for us 
is that we've been in the market consistently. So many people, when the pandemic hit, pulled back their lending. We didn't pull back. We we leaned into it. And as a result, we had record loan production for the last two years. And as you called out, just this last quarter, we had $700 million of net loan growth. And the key is our clients. They know we'll be there for them in the good times and the bad times. And it's it's the momentum is just building for us. And when you look at the overall industry, it's flat loans. So to be able to have that kind of loan growth, I think is a real positive. Can you talk about what kind of customers those were and if you had any concerns about their ability to make it through the pandemic? Yeah, no, they we I think we all had concerns because, you know, two years ago, we were wondering what we're all looking into. Uh, but the reality is we've experienced huge appreciation in real estate and about 80 percent of our balance sheet is in real estate loans. So those clients have done phenomenally well as real estate values have gone up. And you're seeing those clients now want to build more real estate or expand their portfolios. So what parts of the economy do you expect to be strongest this year and where are you still seeing underperformance? Yeah, you know, we're in the uh, eight Western states, everything except for California, basically, and we're seeing strength almost across the board in our industries. The biggest obstacle people are seeing is how do they get enough employees to drive more demand? The demand is out there. It's finding the employees to be able to do that. So I think the answer that most people are trying to deploy right now is technology, bringing technology to bear. So the lowest paying jobs, you can serve those clients through technology and then really focused on the highest paying, the value added jobs. Right. And it sounds like in those cases that, you know, salaries and wages are still going up. Uh, do you want to just offer a comment as well on, I mean, should we expect you guys to be acquisitive this year? There's a, a lot of focus on what the Fed's posture might be towards deal making in the, in the bank space. Wh where do you go from here? Yeah, you know, we've done a number of acquisitions through the years. Uh, that is not our highest and best use of capital from our perspective. Uh, if we can post, you know, double digit organic organic growth, I think that's the highest and best use for our capital. Uh, acquisitions can be a wonderful thing, but acquisitions can also help cause you to lose your culture. There's so many great franchises that have gone down because they've done the wrong acquisitions. So never say never, but our, our preference would be just to continue to grow with clients we have today and bring on new clients. And finally, because I'm asking everybody these days, just out of curiosity, what's the deal with work from home if I'm uh, at your bank? Is it, how, what, what are your expectations across the board? Yeah, you know, we want to be as flexible as possible. The, the most important thing is the health and safety of our colleagues, of our clients. But ultimately, what I want to do is build a culture where people want to come into work and want to work together. We all have proven uh, during this pandemic that we can get our jobs done remotely. But we want to be together because we enjoy one another's company and we get more done when we're working cohesively as a team. All right. So still looking for that in-office culture. Brent, thanks so much. We appreciate you joining us today. Great to be with you. Thank you. Brent Beardall, president and CEO of Wafed Bank. Coming up, former TikTok CEO Kevin Mayer on his recent media buying spree, investing in content and the streaming wars. We'll have that, plus a look at the growing trend of converting offices into apartment buildings. It's all over Manhattan. We'll tell what it means for both sectors. And as we head to break, a quick check on crypto. Bitcoin and Ethereum slightly higher right now, both up about 2% for the week. We're back in a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. 
Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange. We are just off session lows. The Dow is down 448 points. It's the underperformer today. The S&P is down almost 1%. The Nasdaq down about three quarters of 1%. And here are some of the movers this hour. Let's start with Boston Beer. The stock falling after cutting its annual earnings outlook. They're hit by supply chain issues and waning growth for the truly hard seltzer brand. Been a very tough run for the stock lately. Sam's down 11.5%. Also seeing some big declines over at... Walt Disney, the shares are down almost 4% today after getting a downgrade at Guggenheim to neutral based on lower predictions for their direct-to-consumer and parks businesses. You want more detail on that call, head over to cnbc.com slash pro. Of course, that's not helping the Dow today. And a rough day for Peloton. The stock, the worst performer on the NASDAQ 100, but it will no longer be in the NASDAQ 100 at the end of this month. It was kicked out by the index today. It will be replaced by Old Dominion. Peton down 4.5%. It's just over 30 a share right now. We'll have a whole lot more on their future and power lunch. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Rahel. Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. Ohio Supreme Court has rejected a new congressional map for the state, calling it gerrymandered. It's sending the Republican-drawn map back to the Ohio Redistricting Commission so that it can submit a new plan that complies with the state's constitution. Your congressman, John Katko, says that he will not run for re-election. Katko is one of 10 Republican representatives who voted to impeach former President Trump. Katko faces at least one primary challenger for his seat. Federal prosecutors are recommending that the Justice Department drop charges against MIT professor Gang Chen over his ties to China. The potential dismissal of the case marks the latest setback to a crackdown on Chinese influence within U.S. research. And in Italy, Silvio Berlusconi, big step closer now to becoming the country's next president. Italy's center-right party say that they'll support him in upcoming parliamentary elections. Many commentators, however, say that Berlusconi is unfit for office due to his tax fraud conviction and the bunga-bunga sex parties that he held while he was prime minister. And on the news, COVID testing scams on the rise. Look at efforts to stop them tonight at 7 Eastern. All right, Kelly. Rahel, thank you very much. We appreciate it, Rahel Solomon. Still ahead, Etsy, ChargePoint, DraftKings, all down 10% or more this week. Are they a bargain or should you bail? A special edition of Rapid Fire next. Welcome back, everybody. Let's catch you up on a few movers that should be on your radar this afternoon. It's time for a bargain or bail edition of Rapid Fire. Four stocks having a tough week and a tough start to the year. Do you buy here or do you completely bail on these names? Here to help give their takes, Gina Sanchez is Chantico Global CEO and a CNBC contributor. Tim Seymour is Seymour Asset Management CIO, also a contributor. And Dom Chu just finished lunch and made it here in time. (laughs) Welcome one and all. All right, first up is Netflix, the worst performing FANG stock this week and down 14% so far in 2022. Selling accelerated this year as the tech trade got hit. It still trades at 45 times forward earnings. 
And ahead of its results on Thursday, analysts are looking for that all-important content slate and how they're going to drive new subs. Gina, love it or list it. So we still love it. It's still on Lido Advisors buy list and we own it in the in the strategies. And look, right now, the stock market is taking us um, a, a, a battering ram to anything with high P.E.s. Um, but this is a company that has managed to grow their margins. They're actually heading into co- positive cash flow territory and they've established their moat in terms of content. And they're expecting to grow and add new subscribers uh, to the tune of eight point five million. And so this is actually for us, we think that this is going to weather the storm. Wow. All right. Goldman just lowered their price target uh, to, I think, 580 shares of trading somewhere in the neighborhood of 514 today. Tim, are you a fan? Well, again, I, if this is bargain or bail, this is a relative bargain. And, and it, so I'm, I'll play my own game on this one. I, look, Netflix <laughs> relative to itself um, and, and relative even to Disney's streaming business, it's actually cheaper than Disney's streaming business. It's not cheaper overall, but for a company that's going to have 300 million subs by 2025 um, and is going to start, as Gina said, have this free cash flow component to it, um, I, I think this, this company is a bargain relative to itself and relative to the streaming businesses out there. Again, 20, I have it at 23 times EV EBITDA by 2023, which makes it not expensive. And wow. $500 uh, is an amazing support level for the stock, so I like it. Okay, it's off about 26% from the highs. Dom, are you surprised it's been one of the hardest hit names as this trade has toppled? No, I mean, this is one of those names that if you want to categorize it on a more binary basis, if it's a kind of stay-at-home pandemic play or if it's kind of like a reopening play, this is the anti-reopening trade, right? I mean, (laughs) the whole idea here is that people were locked down over the last year and a half almost two years, streaming Netflix all the time. And as people started to get back to normal, feel like they could get out more often, do more normal things, some of these companies may not benefit as much. So maybe that's being caught up in some of this rotation out of some of these work-from-home, stay-at-home names. My issue is about whether or not streaming still has the momentum that it had over the course of the last couple of years. It might just be because there's a revaluation, Kelly, right now, of this particular stock or this particular industry as things kind of get back to normal from the pandemic overall. Just from a streaming standpoint, I think it and Disney Plus are still probably the top of the heap. Yeah, but I take your point. I like this this chart that we're showing because lately, who has the momentum? HBO Max, right? There's tons of new players on the scene. Paramount Plus is really pushing its content this year. So that does seem to be a change. But all right, we got... We got Tim and Gina both on board here, so that should give Netflix a a better day. Next up is Etsy. It's the worst performer in the S&P this year. As Internet names keep taking a beating, the shares are down 25% in two weeks, and they're nearly 50% off the November 52-week high. Not everyone is bearish. Needham named it its top 22 stock pick last week, saying, quote, all the reasons to be bullish are still there. Tim, what do you say? Kelly, I say bail. I say bail and bail again. I mean, there's just not enough growth in this growth stock. I, I recognize that the two-year stack on this is 130%. I recognize, again, this was the right place to be, internet stocks overall. But uh, you're not going to get that same growth in the next couple of years. Their take rates are going down. They have to spend uh, to grow. And I realize that's what growth companies do. But um, through acquisitions and, and investing in marketing, I, I just think uh, the best time to have owned this stock was really pre-pandemic. I, I, I see... Uh, at, first of all, I mean, artisanal, last time I checked was, was you know, I wanted artisanal cheese. I don't need a, a sock puppet. And I, I think there's a, a limit to the size of this addressable market. I really do. I, I, I don't like the valuation right now. Gina, what do you say? 
Well, I think um, I think their acquisition uh, of the clothing reseller is actually a trend that is growing and actually getting bigger, which is this notion of recycling uh, to the nth degree. Um, so I do think that, that there's an interesting story here. We don't own it. I like the story, but I hate the valuation. And that's the problem with this particular stock is that it is so highly priced and its growth obviously was massive. And they're a cash cow. So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting stock, but probably not at this price. And Dom, this was a play as a way to kind of get around supply chain problems. And I wonder now that we're past the holidays, if that story has kind of run its course. So so if, if Etsy is able to retain a lot of the folks and customers that used it during some of the supply chain woes, that actually used it because they were at home more during the pandemic and found a side gig or a side hustle to actually make stuff on Etsy or rather make stuff on their own and then sell it on Etsy's platform, then there might be more of a momentum play coming down the line from an operational standpoint. That is to say, it's not Amazon. It's not even close to Amazon. But if this marketplace can become something where people really do find a market that they want for some of these kind of custom goods. I know for me, I've bought more off Etsy in the last year than I have in my entire life or the entire (laughs) just during the pandemic. I don't know if other people feel that way as well. I go there for gifting. Absolutely. Custom socks for my daughter. I bought them for Christmas. There you go. I got a custom uh, puzzle for my friend's twins. You know, all of that, all of those things. We're all in that life phase too, aren't we? All right, let's move along to ChargePoint, an EV play that got swept up in the euphoria of the infrastructure bill and subsequently hurt in the aftermath. We also have rising rates. We have a lot priced in. Shares are down 15% this week and 70% down from the 52-week high. <sighs> it's a Tim, I'll go to you on this one. You love it? You list it? What do you do? <laughs> Uh, are, are we loving and listing? Or are we bailing and bargaining? I, I, look, I love I, that I don't, show. I, all right. All right. So so I kind of love it. Um, and, 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 you know, it's tough for me to say bargain on this because that's oxymoronic. But I mean, at 10 times sales, it's not crazy relative, again, to its space and relative to itself. This was a 20 times sales stock nine months ago. And, and they're the clear leader in North America. Um, X kind of Tesla dynamics, they're a 70% market share. I, I, I just, I see so many tailwinds for their business. I do think actually uh, the fleet charging business, even the work charging dynamics are coming back online. Um, I think the, the SPAC spiral and the, yeah. the Reddit dynamics have hurt this stock more than anything. I, I actually think this is a place to start nibbling. Dom? I feel as though Tim Tim has an excellent point here because you look at the fundamentals and a lot of it's driven based upon their anticipated growth, how many stations they have, how many they could do, the the total addressable market, that TAM. All of these things maybe do bode well, not from a valuation standpoint, but just from a straight fundamentals. What can they do as a company? This, though, company, this stock trades so much more around just sentiment and momentum than it does around anything else, particularly with regard to headlines involving infrastructure or not. So if you're going to play this particular stock, it might be one of those things where you say, hey, if it takes enough of a beating, it is going to be something that eventually plays to the upside again. But again, it might turn around a completely six months later. So you got to play the sentiment and maybe not the fundamentals so much here. Yeah, that is a tough looking one year chart. Uh, they're making your point with charge point around 14. Gina? <laughs> So I think that, uh, quite frankly, I'm going to focus on the fundamentals because I do actually think that it does have a strong story in the long term. The problem is that this is a very cash-intensive, capital-intensive business, and so they're a long way off from profitability. And the market right now is just, like I said, taking a battering ram to anything that is highly valued and worse, not profitable. And here, this one has two dings against it. Um, and and when this company, and we know that there's going to be a large infrastructure build-out for EV, this is a big priority for the United States, 
However, we don't know how the market is going to evolve. They're a leader now, but this is actually getting to be a more and more crowded space. Um, so the competition isn't exactly zero. In fact, I would say the competition is getting harder and harder day by day. Yeah, which reminds us a little bit of what we're talking about streaming. So Gina is a yes on Netflix, a yes on Etsy, a no on ChargePoint. That brings us to our last one, which is DraftKings, the sports betting company that went from SPAC superstar to laggard, not getting any boost from New York State legalizing sports betting this week. Shares down more than 13% since New Yorkers started gambling and down 70% from their 52-week high. Um, Gina, we'll save you for last. Tim, are you a buyer here? Look, uh, not a bargain, but not a bail. Uh, again, I, I feel like I'm playing my own game here. So um, <laughs> I, I tell you what, I, I think at, 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 you know, five times sales going forward, this is not terribly expensive. They are a market leader in many of the states that are uh, recently online. I, I know New York should have been more of a catalyst, especially, you know, with the dynamics of this market particularly. But it, it is a land grab. They are a leader. Um, there's been a irrational marketing and advertising environment. It's certainly hurting uh, the EBITDA losses. I don't know if that gets a lot better in the short run, but it has to get better uh, in the medium term. And I, I just like this space. And I think hmm. this is a brand leader. I'm going to call that. Kind of, well, I was going to call it a hold, but now you're sounding a little more bullish to me. So, Dom, what would you say? I would say that the uh, the addressable market is is big there for, for online gambling. I would say that the brand names that you're paying attention to are, of course, DraftKings. It's FanDuel, Rush Street Interactive, some of these other names out there. But what it comes down to is whether or not the price has fallen enough. I would say that if you look at sports gambling, this is one of those things that does have growth. It does have trajectory. And a lot of you know, live sporting events are now tagging partnerships to these things. So maybe this has fallen far enough. Gina, bargain or bail? So I'm actually bailing on this, and I might regret this given the comments I've just heard, but to be, the, the, the issue that I see is that they're also managing a delicate transition that's going to depend on execution, and that's a transition into the NFT market and into the virtual space. And so that could actually be very positive. But again, this has so many headwinds against it right now that yes, the, the, the price has fallen, but I think it could, it could continue to fall until we get over this latest wave. Um, so maybe it's a short-term bail, um, but you might want to look at it. So how do you rate that one? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't get the, it straight anyway. Bargain or bail or love it or list it. <laughs> uh, I love I, I it. Trade it or fade it. Trade it or fade it. Tim knows that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a lot of ways we could go. Guys, thank you all. Gina Sanchez, Tim Seymour, and Dom Chu for this edition of thank Rapid you. Fire. Coming up, city dwellers who work from home may soon find themselves in an office or at least a former one. The urban real estate trend hitting new records next. Welcome back. Talk about a work-life balance. Developers are converting offices into apartments at a record rate. Diana Olick has the story. It was a big, boxy, 70s-style government office building at the edge of a dead-end D.C. neighborhood. Now, converted to an apartment building, it is a part of that area's rebirth. We took a building that was a perfect rectangle, carved it into an E, put a new skin, Developer Norman Jamal saw an opportunity in something that at face value seemed to have no value. We were able to utilize the stairwells and the elevators and, and much of the other infrastructure here. And along with that, in today's zoning, we wouldn't be able to build this as close to the water as it is and would not be able to build it as high as we did. 
Conversions from office to apartment are suddenly soaring. Of the 32,000 apartment conversions in the past two years, just over 40% were from office buildings. That's a record, and thousands more are on the way. Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. have converted the most units in 2020 and 21 combined. Los Angeles and Cleveland have the most projects lined up for this year. And it began well before COVID, although the drop in office occupancy now is expected to accelerate the trend. Conversions are also growing in popularity, in part because they're greener than demolishing and rebuilding. You'd have all of that landfill, right, of, of the structure going down, and then you have all of the carbon emissions that it takes to produce all of that new material and get it to the site and get it installed and so on. While the office market is hurting right now due to the pandemic, developers like Jamal say it's just a moment in time and they're still very bullish on the sector. They're just more bullish on apartment demand, which we're already seeing rise as workers return to big cities like New York. Rents there are skyrocketing again because there's just not enough supply, Kelly. Yeah, my running joke is that Manhattan is going to become a bedroom community, that all those office <laughs> spaces, there's plenty of people who would be happy to live there. What, what does it actually mean, Diana, for the REITs involved? here. Well, it's a great opportunity. I mean, just a couple of months ago, Avalon Bay, one of the biggest apartment REITs in the Northeast, bought two office buildings in Princeton, New Jersey, and they're going to convert them into some luxury apartments and some senior living. And that just makes those buildings much more valuable. And the REITs are obviously going to benefit from that, Kelly. Fascinating. My sister-in-law just moved into a building. I almost wonder if it's the one that you showed there. It's right on the water in D.C. and she loves it. Anyway, uh, Diana, this, it's fabulous. It's a huge trend. Uh, thank you very much. Our Diana Olick reporting. Still ahead from Disney to TikTok and now sports streaming and private equity. My next guest has seen it all in the media world. Kevin Mayer joins me after the break with what's next for Hollywood and the multi-billion dollar investments he's making to compete in the content arms race. Stay with us. Welcome back. 2021 was a huge year for media deals, massive deals like AT&T's Warner Media combining with Discovery and a wave of smaller deals as the arms race for content heats up. Our next guest has been no stranger to media deals. Kevin Mayer's Candle Media has been on a buying spree, striking deals for Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine production company and just two weeks ago, a minority stake in Will and Jada Smith's media company called Westbrook. Joining me now, CNBC's Julia Borston, along with Kevin Mayer, the co-CEO of Candle Media, a Blackstone-backed media venture. Julia? Thanks so much, Kelly. And Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, there's so much ground to cover when we talk about changes in the media landscape. But just to start off, give us your perspective on what it is you're trying to build with Candle. I mean, you've made a number of investments, then also, uh, you know, investments in this Will and Jada Smith company, but also full-out purchases of the likes of Hello Sunshine. What is this combined company going to be about? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. Um, look, we we see a bright future for media, and we see there's a, a multiple platform approach that we want to take. We have traditional film and television content. Hello Sunshine is a great example of that, Westbrook. We also think that social storytelling it has, a, has a bright future, and, it's a, and social media has become more important than ever, and many more eyeballs are now trained to social media than than even traditional media at, at this point in time, and I can I can harken back to my TikTok moment, uh, and 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 tell you that that's a very important uh, uh, medium now. So we like social media storytelling, and Moonbug, which is another company that we bought, is based purely on IP that comes from YouTube, 
And so that storytelling in that social media sphere is very important. And then if you have a great product and you have a great uh, creative uh, win and victory and you have uh, influencers that are part of that creative enterprise and you couple that with social media storytelling, those audiences are ripe to have e-commerce associated with them. So we think there's a e-commerce play, a social commerce play, if you will, social media storytelling and traditional film and television to feed the streaming uh, growth that we see out there. So we, we see it as a multi-platform approach and we have a revenue diversification strategy that we feel really great about. And do you imagine having these companies that you either own or have invested in continue to be sort of arms dealers in the streaming war, selling their content to the different streaming and media players? Or could you imagine them rolling together or even creating a new type of streaming offering? Well, we don't like to call it arms dealer. We call it arts dealer, if you will. You know, this is artistic <laughs> output that we create. But yes, I do think that um, we are configured to sell our product and to license it. Uh, to to many players, we think that if you look at Hollywood today, and uh, you know I was part of the new architecture of Hollywood back when I was at Disney, those big studios are now vertically integrated, and uh, Disney, Warner Media, um, Universal, they all have they all have to feed their own streaming services on a global basis. So if you're an if you're a streaming service like Netflix or Apple TV Plus or or even HBO Max, and you're looking to license product that you don't create from your own studios and you need to have more product than you can possibly create on your own, you need to go to an independent source because you can no longer go to the big guy. They're not licensing to competing streaming platforms anymore. So, you know, be, I think being an independent content company is more important than ever, but I think bringing scale and quality to that equation is also what we're trying to do. So we have Hello Sunshine, which is, you know, product made by women for women. It speaks to an audience in a way that's, that's very unique. We have Moonbug for kids, and I think we're going to look to fill up that portfolio of men and women, young and old, so we can come to market with, on, on an independent basis with a full suite of product, and I think that's a great business model. Kevin, it's Kelly here. Again, appreciate you joining us. Now I know whose pockets I'm lining every time we watch Little Baby Bum. So I've learned, <laughs> Thank you. I've learned Thank that you today. That. It's better than Coco Melon. That's just my two cents. Anyway. My question is actually about TikTok and China. Um, I mean, this product has been insanely successful. You know, the Trump administration was more concerned about it kind of being a, a, a Trojan horse into U.S. politics. Were we wrong to kind of drop the case in going after them and to allow it to remain as successful as it is with, with basically no changes? Look, I, I don't know the status at this point. I'm not sure it has totally dropped or not. I don't know what the uh, Biden administration is planning, if anything. Uh, it is, as you said, a great product. It serves an audience uh, and, and fulfills a really substantial need. I'm an avid user of TikTok. I think it is just a, a very unique product. And you take, the, you take the artificial intelligence and machine learning that TikTok has, couple it with you know videos of all type. There's millions of videos being uploaded every day and creating a for you feed for each individual user. That's a very, very substantial um, uh, and protectable product. And it's it's really great. And look, do I think that there should be more done? No, I'm, I'm out of that realm. I think the geopolitics is is, is, is a difficult uh, dynamic to, uh, to even talk about or to contemplate. I just love the product. I think it serves audiences great. And I'm a, yeah. I'm a big fan of it. Well, while you are no longer involved with TikTok, you do have another role, which is chairman of DAZN, a streaming sports service. You know, I've been reporting a lot about the growing interest in sports rights from the likes of Apple and Amazon. I'm wondering how you see the future of sports playing out, especially as you have these 
deep-pocketed tech giants raising the prices by by making these bids. What's going to happen with the with the future of sports and how it plays into the TV bundle? Well, look, it's very interesting. I think that the the European markets where DAZN is focused are are substantially different than the U.S. markets. If you're a U.S. observer of sports, you would say, "Wow, sports rights go up. They get they continually go up. They defy gravity. There's no end in sight to the increases in sports rights." And by and large, that's been correct. Of course, gravity takes hold at some point, and, it, and nothing goes up forever. But if you were operating in European markets, you will have seen the major sports rights uh, go sideways to down, uh, actually, in their cost over the last couple rights cycles. So if you look at the uh, English Premier League, that's been that went down two cycles ago and then was flat in the last cycle. If you look at Ligue 1 on France, that went down dramatically uh, when Amazon bought those rights, actually. And they were very opportunistic and bought very inexpensive rights comparatively. Uh, Serie A in Italy, that's the EPL of Italy. Those rights have gone down. Uh, Bundesliga have gone sideways. That's the that's the German uh, soccer rights. So it, in this territory, in these territories here, those rights have been mod- moderate in their increase to even somewhat decreasing. And we think there's a great a great play there. I think those um, the audiences are avid in Europe for their for their what they call football uh, over here. I'm in London actually right now, um, yeah. and and we think I think it's a great business. And I think that sports are delivered to the platforms where, they, where, they're, where they're most enjoyed. And I think that an interactive platform to have sports where you can look at real-time statistics, you can do what I call telemetry, seeing what's happening all over the field. Um, and mm-hmm. even in Europe, and, and more and more in the U.S., and as more and more states approve it, yeah. you can have gambling and betting right alongside the video that you're watching. Yeah. I think that's a very powerful combination. Yeah. Interesting to see how that's all making sports much more interactive. And of course, we'll learn much more about the streaming wars and all of this space when Netflix reports next week. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, our thanks to you both. That was really interesting, especially about the European sports rights. Still ahead, demand for EV batteries has been skyrocketing as automakers ramp up production. How high could prices go and why doesn't the surge necessarily spell gains for the mining stocks? That's next. Demand for lithium is surging as more automakers shift to EVs, and that demand should continue to grow through the end of the decade, according to estimates. Pippa Stevens is here with more on the price action and the stocks affected, Pippa. Hey, Kelly, that's right. A record year for lithium amid this electric vehicle boom. And experts say prices are going to keep on climbing. With automakers promising vast EV fleets, demand is far outstripping supply. Prices jumped more than 200% last year to record levels, according to data from Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. And in some cases, the move was far more extreme. In China, battery-grade lithium on the spot market rose 485%, catching buyers off guard. Now, lithium is everywhere, but mining and processing it is challenging and expensive. And after a period of low prices between 2019 and 2020, producers scaled back. Today, new projects are being announced, but not fast enough. According to Deutsche Bank, supply will triple by 2030, but demand will quintuple. And this could be a boost for upstream players. That's names like Albemarle, SQM, and Liven Corporation. All three hit record highs in November, but are down since. Other raw materials essential for batteries, including nickel, cobalt, and graphite, are also on the rise. One problem across the industry is that mining projects are capital intensive. They face political hurdles and ESG concerns. So a lot of things to watch here, Kelly. Oh, all of that. Pippa, thank you very much, Pippa Stevens. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, 
same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.